1: Just go through the grocery line at Publix. Some of the magazines will be covered up. If you're wondering why they're covered up, it's because every secular magazine is trying to tell you how to have
0: good sex. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect Well, let's talk about love, sex, and marriage
1: straight from the Bible. And why would we do that? Because there's no better place in our world that exposes the brokenness caused by sin than interpersonal relationships, and no better way, place to discuss that than in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to deal with what I believe is the highest result Of broken relationships. No relationship better exposes the extent to which we're broken than the relationship that is supposed to be second only to our relationship with Jesus. And that's the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And there's clearly a problem in that area of relationship, both inside and outside the church, among professing Christians and those who do not profess to follow Christ. And God's Word gives us eight chapters, eight chapters in the Bible to understand a biblical theology of love and marriage and dating and sexual relationship. It's called the Song of Solomon. And as we dive into the Song of Solomon, we find the answer to who wrote that book of love. God did. All of God's Word is a book of love, and the Song of Solomon is a book that gives us insight into what that love can look like. In fact, I love this phrase. The Song of Solomon gives us a picture of what an ideal godly relationship should look like. And it points us to God himself, the author of love. So we've discovered that in this book, we not only see an allegorical picture of God's relationship with man, we see a real life literal understanding of what a relationship between a man and a woman should look like. In chapter one, we talked about attracting the kind of person that you want to marry. We learned a simple principle. Become the person, the person you want to be with, wants to be with. Become like the person you're trying to attract, because you're never responsible for changing another person, but by God's grace and with his help, you are responsible for changing you. I hope you've thought about that these last few weeks, and there are some things in us that need to be changed. I never have a couple, never have had a couple come into my office and sit down and have one of the individuals say, I am the problem in this marriage. Help me know how to change me. But that's the way it should be. In chapter two, we talked about the rules for dating and the importance of dating your mate. And, and we talked about this simple reality. The person you want to be with wants to know you want to be with them. We all want to be wanted. We all want to understand that God is desirous of our attention and we should show Him that affection in the same way that we show that affection to the ones we love. But today is the passage of of Scripture that we've been waiting for, and I can't stop sweating just thinking about it. (laughs) Because the marriage has come, the marriage has come full circle. In chapter 3 and verse 11, we see the end of this chapter says, Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. The wedding has occurred. It's a feast. It's a celebration. It's exciting. But now that the wedding is over, it's time for the honeymoon to begin. Now, this is kind of funny because on our wedding day, it was July in Houston, Texas. And it was hot, hot, hot. In fact, I think I was sweating much like I am right now. I remember the service. That was a real sweet time. I don't really remember the reception. In fact, I noticed everybody else was eating and it wasn't like it is today, you know, where everything about a wedding is a big production. I mean, we had our reception in the fellowship hall of the church. I mean, somebody made a cake to help make things a little easier for us, if you know what I mean. So I don't really remember the re- reception, just shaking a lot of hands. Thank you, thank you, glad you're here. Because my mind was somewhere else. I do remember this moment. Look at this picture. This is my bride coming out of that fellowship hall, coming into the car where I was holding the door and waiting for her. And then I remember this moment. Look at this picture. This is our card that very fancy Ford Escort covered up in ribbons and balloons and shaving cream. As we were leaving that church parking lot with the sign, Just Married, we had a stop to make. The first stop was the local car wash. (laughs) Had to get the shaving cream off the windshield. But to this day, that's the worst car wash I've ever given. Because my mind was not on the car wash. My mind was on the destination. Because we were awaiting with great anticipation the honeymoon. Solomon and his bride are about to leave the celebration. They're entering into the carriage. Going to the honeymoon. Now, in biblical times, actually, the honeymoon, this first night, would literally take place in the same place compound as the banquet hall. And so the groom and the bride would excuse themselves and they would disappear into another room to consummate the marriage. Can anyone say, awkward? (laughs) But that's what happened. And it's in this context that Solomon and Shulamite are about to enjoy marital bliss. And we're about to talk about it in church. Why? Why? Because church is a great place to hear about something that was created to be God honoring. Church is a lot better than the playground or the locker room or the gas station wall or pornographic pictures or videos. And yet, this is rarely discussed in most churches. And when it is discussed, some stay away because of the pain or the anxiety that it causes. In fact, even in Christians home, Christian homes, this is not a topic that's discussed freely and clearly. It's interesting, Planned Parenthood says that only 5% of the women that seek their services say they ever had any, any parental conversation regarding sex. In church, we have apathy about this issue, but in the world we're facing absurdity. Our society is sex crazed. Just go through the grocery line at Publix. Some of the magazines will be covered up. If you're wondering why they're covered up, it's because every secular magazine is trying to tell you how to have good sex, how to make your sex life better. Society in our music, in our movies, in our novels, and everything we see is this absurd fascination with sex that's different from Scripture. And that's created addiction. And so we have the reality of pornography, where studies say that even in church settings, as many as 60% of men say they have looked at pornography in the last week. And surprisingly, in the last generation, the statistic has risen to as many as 30% of women say the same thing. That addiction has resulted in our community in a lot of danger, in a, a very degraded society. I was recently told that in Tampa Bay alone, there are 11,000 individuals identified as sex workers. You say, what does that mean? Well, they're prostitutes. Are they pretending to be massage therapists, but they're prostitutes? are they working strip clubs, and they're prostitutes? The absurdity has led to addiction, and the addiction often leads to abuse. And so in our society, this sex-craved reality has created a, a, a setting where abuse is rampant. And it takes place in and out of marriage. And it takes place in and out of the church. Our world was rocked in recent days just by the uncovering of the reality that even in church settings, there is sexual abuse that has been covered up and not dealt with. And so before I move forward, it's important for me that you understand that in our church we have very clear guidelines. We have very clear policies that our children and preschool parents receive as well as our student ministry parents uh, have access to that describe what we expect of both our volunteer and our paid leaders of the ministries and describe the consequences of what will take place when those actions are not upheld. There's no tolerance For sexual abuse. But this is why we have to talk about these things. And so I would just say to you, regardless of where you are today and what you think you need to hear, I ask you to tune in to this kind of different but necessary subject. You may be here as a single adult and you're thinking, I don't know if I'll ever be married or remarried. Here's the reality though, the principles that we're talking about are applicable in your life and they're very beneficial for people that will come across your path, friends, co-workers, relatives that come to you to talk about these parts of their life. You may be here as a senior adult and you're thinking, Sonny, I could teach you a few things. And yes, you could. I'm I'm confident of it. But the reality is, as our society has changed, as grandparents and even great-grandparents, you may be the one to help your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren walk through these issues in a way that is honoring to God. And for the rest of us, well, it's just obvious. We need help from God's Word. So the question really is this, how does a Christ follower experience God-honoring sex?
0: If you've just joined us, You're listening to the Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHill.org. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHill.org. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: And I want to say that right there, we're at a place a lot of us have never been. You've you've never thought about that last word, that three-letter word, the sex word, in the context of a phrase with the other words, God-honoring. So first we have to understand a simple truth. God-honoring sex always takes place between a man and a woman in the context of their marriage relationship. All other sexual activity is sinful and dishonoring to a holy God. That's our premise as we begin here. Sexual relationships outside of the context of marriage, whether it be between a man and a woman or between two men or two women, is sinful and dishonoring to God. Sexual relationship with anyone other than the person you're married to while married is sinful and dishonoring to God. But God-honoring sexual relationships have many great purposes along with bringing pleasure to the men and the woman women who experience what God intends. Danny Aiken wrote one of the books I'm going to recommend to you today. It's, it's simply called God Owns Sex. And it deals with Song of Solomon and it gives some great practical helps that I think can encourage you as a couple and perhaps even as a premarital couple. If you're in that stage, you might want to pick that up. But he gives a list that he compiled of what happy couples say about sex. So couples that are happy, what do they say about sex? Listen to this list. First, they make sex a priority. It's important to them. Second, they make time for sex. Third, they stay emotionally intimate. Fourth, they know to touch and what works. I'm just having to tell you, sometimes in my notes I see some typos that are really funny and that's why I can't stop laughing. I cannot tell you because I would have to resign at the same moment. But let's just say, sometimes you see some very funny things. Number four, Number five, they keep romance alive by meeting each other's needs. Number six, they keep sexual anticipation alive. Number seven, they know how to play and foreplay. Number eight, they know how to talk to each other. Number nine, they remain lovers and friends. Number 10, they maintain a sense of humor and know how to laugh. Number 11, they cherish each other as a sacred gift from God. In other words, a happy couple doesn't look at their sexual activity as coincidental or accidental it is intentional in their relationship together so i want to give you some principles straight from the song of solomon and see if we can learn and grow together the the first thing is this god honoring sex is strategic it's strategic in other words it's it's not accidental it doesn't just happen coincidentally there's some principles that we've learned i think it was gary smalley who first said remember this men are microwaves women are crock pots you know what that means when it comes to your sexual activity men are like ready to go just press that instant cook button and they are hot and on fire whereas women you know, sometimes need to simmer throughout the day. And Solomon understood this. He understood that the brain was the most important of all the sexual organs. Before there was any physical interaction, there was a deep emotional connection. He understood that that four-letter word, love, is sometimes spelled T-I-M-E, and it's sometimes spelled T-A-L-K. He knew how to let Shulamite know he loved her. If there was a practical application I would give you for this, it would be these two words. Be thoughtful. Say, be thoughtful. I want to read to you from the beginning of Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1. Put on your seatbelt. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. We'll never know what Shulamite looks like. We don't have a picture of her. But what you're hearing is how she looks through Solomon's eyes. Men and women, let me tell you something that's vitally important. It really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about how your spouse looks. But it is absolutely essential that they understand how you think they look through your eyes. Three times in these first few verses you're going to see, he says that she is beautiful. It's necessary, men, that your wife knows she is beautiful, women, that your husband knows he is handsome in your eyes. And then he says, your eyes are doves behind the veil. Now understand what's taking place. He's taking off her wedding veil. And perhaps in this culture, seeing her eyes for the first time. And he says they're beautiful. It's years ago that I heard the founder of Promise Keepers say, Bill McCartney, the coach I knew I had a problem in my marriage when I looked into my wife's eyes. Men, when you look at your wife's eyes, you should not only see their natural beauty, you should see the joy that your love pours into them. And notice what happens as he continues to undress her. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now let me just stop right there and say this. (laughs) Some of this you don't need to literally apply. It could get you into trouble, men. But again, he's taking her hair down out of that wedding cap that she would have been veiled within, and it begins to flow, which was very unusual for the women of that day. Her long hair was down. Perhaps she turned her head from side to side. (laughs) My wife has long hair and man, when she flicks her hair, it gets my attention. Maybe that's what he was saying. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Comes up from the washing. What is he saying? Your breath smells good. Thank you for brushing your teeth. (laughs) And then this is actually amazing. Before dental floss, before dental visits, she has all her teeth. Not one is missing. Everyone has its twin. This is exciting. He continues, your lips are like scarlet thread. She put on lipstick. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Her cheeks are rosy. Perhaps she was wearing some type of ancient makeup. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. In other words, when he's talking about her neck, he's saying, you're confident. I see in you security and confidence. I want you to understand on the honeymoon, preparing for the most intimate moment in the relationship, Solomon is blessing his wife with his words before he caresses her with his touch. And that's so important. In fact, it's strategic. He's modeling what we sometimes hear, which is sex doesn't begin in the bedroom, it begins in the kitchen. It doesn't begin in the evening. It begins in the morning. And men, that's why it's so important that you find ways to encourage. That's why we went to the expense to provide for you for this series, this little notepad. We don't want you to take this and make sermon notes, so that's okay if you're doing that right now. We want you to use this and write little love notes to that person in your life that means everything to you. Tell them why that matters to them. I love special occasions like holidays, like Valentine's Day, because it it forces us to kind of to do that, doesn't it? And and so I'm a sucker for cards. And and so usually I try to get a serious card that seriously expresses what I feel uh, and my deep love and my deep emotion for Kimberly. But then I, I usually get a card that I have to hide from the children, because I want her to know. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Let those you love know of your love. Why? Because they need to know that they are the standard of beauty in your eyes. That's what Solomon was saying. There, there's nobody like you. A few years ago, a pastor by the name of Mark Driscoll shared some valuable words of wisdom in this context. He said, this is why we tell you don't cohabitate, don't fornicate, don't look at pornography, don't create a standard of beauty that is not your spouse, and then compare your spouse to that standard of beauty. Have your spouse be your standard of beauty.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home. You're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhill.org. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.